Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Hey everyone, and welcome to Raising Parents, the Parenting Science Insights podcast, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Dina Sargent. Now, let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode. Parental burnout. What is it? How do we know we're not just needing another coffee in our hand to top off the one that we had an hour ago? Well, our guest today can definitely help in sharing the signs, some signs and some methods to cope with parental burnout. She's received a number of industry awards, including Family Daycare, Daycare Australia's Educator of the Year Award for New South Wales and ACT. I would love to introduce to you Helen Gatland. How are you today, Helen? Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. Uh, So do you mind talking a little bit about yourself and about some of the things that you have, uh, some of the degrees that you have, for example? Yes. So as you can hear, I'm French. And so I did a French uh, uh, Master of Psychology specialized in child and adolescence. But then I moved to travel uh, and moved to Australia. Um, And so I decided actually to do family daycare. Um, that's where I won the award for New South Wales, and I also got um, recognition from the Parliament of New South Wales. Um, and doing this, I realized that people yeah, needed more help. And being French, there was a lot of uh, studies done in France, or actually in Belgium, but in French-speaking uh, countries, um, about parental burnout. And I realized that wasn't a term that we even used in Australia. So that's where I decided to become uh, certified and realized that I was the first Australian uh, coach to be certified by the Training Institute of Parental Burnout. But I'm still the only one in Australia. So I'm trying to raise awareness on parental burnout and all the amazing studies that have been done uh, in French. Well, it's amazing that you're the only one. Like, it's you think that you hear the concept, but it's amazing that there's only that you're the only one that's actually completely certified in order to talk about it yeah so it's um I'm not sure exactly why but I have when I listen to podcasts in America some of them are great don't get me wrong but a lot of them they use the term parental burnout almost like a fashion not really um, something scientific with a lot of data behind and a lot of research behind so I think a lot of people just think they are right, that it is not a syndrome. It is not yet considered as a, as a syndrome by the psychologist uh, because it takes years to be um, considered as a syndrome um, and the mental health. So the studies only began in 2017. So what happened now, like I feel like it will come, but I was probably one of the first one and probably it will be for a while that I will be the only one just because when the study begins, normally it takes 10 years to come into people's um, knowledge. 
So already that I was um, that I'm already qualified is quite early. So the so two researchers were behind everything, um, Isabel and Moira. They are working really hard to get the knowledge outside and um, that people are aware of it. But it, it's taking time still. Wow, that's that's incredible, actually. Just just to know that uh, it's how long is you said ten years, right? Yeah, ten years from the study. Uh, normally to be really like when you do a study already takes time then you have to publish it and then you have you have to uh, give awareness to people so from the moment you begin to send it to newspaper it takes time and then people read it and be people that really like understand it so first you will you will send the paper to professional so then that it goes to parents takes a very very long time wow that's it's it's amazing that we've at least got one person here who's completely who's completely certified at least in yeah. Australia. <laughs> um, so talking a bit more about you, we're gonna sort of start a little bit with a icebreaker, um, just five different topics, and the sort of the first thing that sort of comes to your mind when I say this sort of genres. Uh, so your first one is your favorite book. Oh, my favorite book. Uh, I know the book that comes into my mind first. Oh, my favorite book is actually a book from a French. Um, actually, yeah, see, she's French. From a French um, researcher. Sorry, <laughs> it's not like that. She uh, she wrote a lot about how to educate children in a very respectful way, and it's very like it's coming back to the. Basic, like really like just respecting children. So I really enjoy reading it. And I think that's the one who changed the most the way I was with children. Um, but to be honest, the book, the first book who came into my mind is probably more interesting to your listeners. It was a book from Robin Grill, which is called Parenting for a Peaceful World. And it was a book um, that comes, like I, I read it last year, and it's explaining how much we have changed the way we parent. And it was just like, there's example, you don't even think about it. Like babies being just attached on a, on a pole with something around them so they don't move and something in their mouth so that we couldn't hear them crying because we thought they, had not, they were nothing, they were an object. Mm -hmm. And how far we have gone now, like not letting a child cry in more than two seconds, not letting a child go some some parenting uh, style, don't allow a child to be on the floor. So how far we have gone, and some are really positive and some are um, detrimental to parents' well-being. But that was a really cool book for me to read last year when I was um, yeah, working with parents through parenting, parental burnout. Yeah. That's such an interesting book, actually. I'm going to add that to my – I'm going to go and have a look at it myself once I <laughs> probably get off this episode. Um, how about your favorite movie? Uh, it's an old movie, and it's um, in French. It's La Vie est Belle, so I, I saw it in French. Um, but it's uh, I think Life is Beautiful in English, and it's by Roberto Benigni. Benigni, I think, yeah, Roberto Benigni. And it's a story about um, a dad who is trying to oh, a Jewish dad which is going to concentration. Oh, I don't know how you say it in English. Concentration camp. camp? Um, concentration camp. Yeah. Sorry yeah. about that. Yeah. And um, yeah, he try, he's trying his best to make this experience pleasant to his child. It's a very, very um, emotional movie, like really moving. 
Wow, that's that's a inter- really amazing, um, interesting topic mm. for a movie to be in. Yes. Yeah. How about your favorite podcast? Again, I don't know if it's my favorite because I'm not really, uh, as much as I have been in podcasts, I don't really listen to a lot of podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really enjoy um, when I did all my podcasts. And uh, because I know her too, I really enjoy Beyond the Bump by Jade Crudwell and Sophie Pierce. And just because, like doing it with them, they are so honest, they are so themselves. I also know Jade really well because I had a little girl in my family daycare. Um, but they are really uh, down to earth mothers. Um, you can you can see that they are struggling and they are going with it. And I really appreciate that and this yeah authenticity of them in the podcast. Well, that's that's pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, um, how about your famous role model? Definitely Elon Musk, even if he's controversial, <laughs> but also because he's controversial and because his brain works in a very different way. So as a psychologist, I um, really like to to um, yeah, listen to him and understand his brain a little more, but also because he has a mother um, that really embraced it. So some people, when they have um, children who are very different, it's it's challenging for them and some people really embrace it. And I really enjoy watching the relationship and see how she's proud of how different he is. Yeah. So Yeah. No, I I, I definitely can see that. I definitely can see um like I love seeing their relationship as well and just just watching videos of her also just by herself and just seeing her understand him better than anyone else. No, that's actually a really yes. good one. Um how about a favorite course that you've completed? Uh, I had I had a few actually, but um, my master of psychology. My husband always said it's what makes our couple work, <laughs> <laughs> and I think it really helped me to understand how to work with people and how to respect differences. So I really enjoyed it. It was it was also five years and it was um, amazing time. But I also really like um, in my personal life. I did a permaculture course, uh, which mm-hmm. is more about um, organic. Um, organic living and organic um, farming um, and that wow. has also shaped a lot my life yeah that's actually no I really like that one just um, I feel like that's something that definitely needs to be spoken about and looked into a little bit more when especially during this day and age so yeah that's definitely something that I would admire as well um, so going into parenting so starting to talk about the topic of today, the reason why we're all here, um, what do you think parenting is, like your definition? Because it can definitely be different for every person. So what's your personal definition of parenting? That's a really hard one to answer because I think parenting is very um, specific to each person, as you said. And so trying to categorize it for me, with my experience of so many other people, it's um, quite difficult. But yeah, it's the act of raising a child. Um, and this is definitely the most difficult task, I think, in the world, because it also it needs constant readjustment. Like constant, like it's not, when you're good at something, normally you think, I'm good, I'm fine, I can do this. 
But with parenting, you can never say that. <laughs> I'm good. And tomorrow your child is going to wake up with a sickness you have never seen or in a mood that you don't know what it is. Or with, yeah, and, and then you're like, oh, and you challenge. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, I feel like yeah, it's, it's really um, the biggest challenge you can have in, in life, I think. No, I think that's a really good definition. Like you're right. No one ever knows what's going to happen with a child. It can be okay one day. It can be going crazy the other day. And yeah, so yeah, I think that's a really good. Um, I know that you're currently pregnant at the moment. Um, what do you think the expectant parent needs to be aware of in the transition to parenthood? Um. Yeah, so that will be the first time it's public that I'm pregnant. Oh, oh, <laughs> so good. I can use it definitely very quickly. And uh, <laughs> so we jump on that definitely first. It's how little control we have. And I keep on laughing on, uh, with my husband on how um, my child is in my body right now and he's controlling everything. <laughs> and, I, yeah. and I love to like... Yeah, this podcast will have to stop at one point because I will need a break. <laughs> um, and actually, it's my baby who will need a break. So, yes, it's first, yeah, it's definitely um, this feeling of not being able to control anymore and just going with the flow. Um, I did the first scan last a few weeks ago. Um, the first, the, oh, I did one scan a few weeks ago, sorry. And baby didn't want it to wake up. You just have to not be too upset that you cannot control your baby and wake him up. So you just yeah, go with the flow. But that would be the first thing. But um, also a second thing is that um, it brings a lot of emotion, especially stress. And actually, in the study they did for parental burnout, they found that um, parents, like every parent, when they uh, checked the cortisol level in the, in the hair, were more stressed than stressed students, so students going through exams. So a parent in everyday life will be more stressed than a, a, a child, uh, students going through exams. So that's quite already you have to know that this is a very stressful journey. And so to deal with this constant stress, which is um, arising, you need more resources. And I think that's a massive thing that we have uh, let go in the last um, 20, 30 years. Um, with people moving from home and we don't have as much resources as we had before and and we have more stress than before being a parent so that's that's one of the things i would like to say to parents who are expecting a child do you um, think it's do you think it's different now than it used to be like for example 10 years ago is it sort of the where awareness of it and what you need to be wary of is it different to what it was before Yes, so um, actually in the study of parental burnout, that was one of the massive questions. Why do we speak about it now? And it hasn't been spoke about it before. So the first thing they did is actually to go back to all the, all the studies and everything that has been done before and look if there was the word parental burnout or parental exhaustion. And there was really little, very, very little. So they were like, oh, this is really new. Is it really something? Is it something that is happening now? They found out, yes, it is something that is happening now. So why, is it, why was it not happening before? Why is it happening now? And they came back with a few reasons. Um, one of them is the reason that um, we, now we can choose when we want to get pregnant. So before it was a little like, you get pregnant. 
and that's your life. Like you don't have a choice in it. Now you get pregnant. And so you, you have this conscious decision. So how can you complain about it? Even worse when you had miscarriages, IVF, and all that kind of things that are really like, you have spent time and money into getting, into having a baby. So how can you complain about it after? So there is not really this um, feeling that we had before. When before, children, you, you could complain about it. You could say they're annoying. You could say, <laughs> now you have to be much more careful. Mm-hmm. The second thing they came with is um, the convention of for the right for children. So this is quite new. I think um, it was in the 1950s. Or anyway, I will say something wrong, but it was the last um, century. And they decided, uh, we decided as a society that children will have rights. And this brought great stuff for children. Um, and I don't want to say but in the same time, I will say in the same time, it brought great pressure on parents. Um, because now if you hurt a child uh, in public, you will have issues. So you have to control much more yourself. Not, not saying, like, don't get me wrong, it's great that you cannot hurt a child anymore. But, but this brings a lot more pressure and control on parents um, of what they are doing with the children. And now they also understand that the children um, is not their object. It's, it's a person in itself. Before it was an object. Now it's a person in itself and it can be taken away from them. So it's a massive thing. Because like, what they found, even parents who are in high parental burnout, they still love their children. So <laughs> they love their children, so they don't want these children to be taken away. But um, at the same time, they have such a high cortisol level that even like they, they are sometimes willing to be more violent with their children because cortisol brings more violence, um, even if people were completely not want it to be violent. So it's, it's a really hard balance. But that was the second thing they found, like the convention, uh, uh, the right for um, children was a big one too. Um, and also, a la- uh, I think well, there was a lot more, but the last big one was um, the child psychology field growing so much. So there was no psychology, no child psychologist in the 1800s. Like that was not existing. Um, but now it's growing and because it's growing, it's learning on the way, but what we learn on the way and sorry, everyone, we give advice and then we take it back and <laughs> give another advice and take it back. So it's very confusing for parents. So they don't know exactly that they understand that they have an influence in their children's life. Psychologists also might believe parents that the influence they have in the children's life is much bigger than what it actually is. Because when you have two twins, they're actually different. So even if you have the same education, same parents, they're actually different. So the influence that the parents has on a child is not that massive, um, but it's it's still big, but it's not as massive as genetic or... um, Actually, I always said the personal choice of the child is maybe the most um, important. But to come back to what I was saying, yes, yeah, the child, all the field of the child psychology growing has brought a lot more pressure on parents, and pressure brings stress, and stress brings burnout. So that was that's the main, that's the three main reasons uh, why it's that prevalent now. So is it when it's talking about the the conversation growing, that people are studying more and more on child psychology. So is that in a way 
negative towards is it more negative towards parents and positive towards kids or vice versa um i would like i'm i'm sure that it is positive um but in the meantime it's very demanding so yes if you have a child now it's because you are inter- like because you should be interested in children some realize after that's actually they're not really that interesting and that's okay but like if yeah if you go into the parenting journey you want to grow a child so you you have the desire to do this and so you want to do it the best you can so the child all the psychology that is around children is helping you doing this the best way you can but in the same time it's much more demanding like imagine before a child a baby would just be on the wall with a tissue in the mouth it's not happening anymore you try to really stimulate them make sure they are fed make sure they are not crying make sure they are um, sleeping enough uh, make sure they are stimulation it's it's really different um, but i think as a as as a like human likes the social interactions so i think even for the brain of the parent it's much more rewarding to be interacting with their babies than having a baby on the wall yeah i think i think it's really interesting cuz the way that i think a lot of people have a different sort of perspective on different topics when it comes to kids like for example screen time the amount of screen time a child is supposed to have some people say you've meant to have you can have a little bit more some people say a little bit less and like that already seems i mean i'm not even a parent but that to me already seems demanding as to what is a parent supposed to know like is it can the kid watch a little bit of tv or is it bad for a kid to watch tv at a certain age it's just like what can a parent do and i can definitely see where a lot of them a lot of parents have like all that overwhelming stress as to how they doing what are they doing right as a parent hmm. if a child compared to like the knowledge of a person who has studied children like just dealing with it in two different ways like people who experience parenting and people who study parenting definitely say two different things i think yes so two thing um on what you said so the first one is um I think it's really good to come back like there's science and this is great this is giving us a guideline but when there's your family so yeah it's good to look at the science as a guidelines as guidelines sorry of what they recommend is the best for children in general depending on the study that was done under a lot of criteria and everything what is your family are you tired what are you watching how is your child reacting in front of the tv so and go back to what do you want for yourself so um actually in the podcast that i was doing in beyond the bump i was saying that uh, um if i look back in my childhood um actually one of my favorite moments was watching friends with my mom that was an extremely i was a teenager so i was a little older but i was an extremely massive quality time because i could see my mother making a massive effort to come back into my world um and she did this all the time she all she always tried to understand my world um and jump into it so this but that was a massive moment because we had to wait every week so it was learning gratification it was there was a lot of learning in it there was massive learning so taking this away because some some science will say it's better to play um board games 
would have been taking away a massive thing in my life. So you just, yeah, you just need to really figure out what do you want to give to your children. But I often say to parents who are extremely exhausted, don't try, don't try to not put TV at all if you are extremely exhausted all day long. If you manage to get like 20 minutes rest, whatever it is that you need, and then you feel better, do it. Like do it in, give yourself a break if it is the only way you have to, you have a break. So it's really depending on your family. And as, I know that I had a second thing to say, but I don't remember. <laughs> That's okay. It's like, like, so is it true that parents should, that is a fact or myth kind of scenario. Is it true that parents should always put their child's needs first and only bad parents become burnt out doing that? Yeah, it's an interesting uh, idea to separate both um, because actually when you think about it, like a child wants to be autonomous, a child wants to be answering to their own needs um, and you hear it, like they're like, I do it, I put my shoes on, I go to take my water, I, I want to eat my food, so they want to do stuff. So actually putting them separated is not the way I will look at it. I will look at it in another light, which is actually they want to do stuff by themselves. So put it together and it's one of the needs. So being autonomous and doing stuff by themselves is one of the needs. So yes, there is, for example, attachment parenting, which um, which said that you should be answering to every single need of the children as quickly as you are. Oh, people who are into attachment parenting, they will say I'm really um, making it like, um, yeah, I'm not explaining really well, but that's like saying the idea of answering to every um, child's need as soon as he arrives. You also need to allow the child to understand that their own needs, see if they can answer to it and, and be here to support it. Um, so it's another way to see it, being here to support their autonomy to answer to their own needs. Um, so no, I, I wouldn't say uh, that's bad parenting. Okay. Because I, I feel like with that, it's like the whole on a plane, you're the oxy, ox, oxygen mask sort of scenario yeah. where you have to sue yourself first before you do your child. Yes. And yeah, so what's your take? Like on that analogy, is that something that should be taken in everyday life as a parent? Yes. Um, it's actually, I use this analogy in my course, so that's really good. Um, <laughs> yes, and it's really, really true. And also, we, we have a role model for our children. So what we, are teaching, what we are trying to do is to say, your needs are very important. I'm here for it to support it. But what we don't show, and actually as a, it's coming more and more into daycares, where educators have to show that they are drinking water, that they are eating with the children. So it's, got, it's also coming in the life of parents um, in general, but showing to the child, every single person is actually needs, and it's important to answer to them. Not just your needs, every single person has needs. You have needs and I have needs. And even I still work um, as a nanny, and I today, for example, I said to my little girl, I'm hungry, it's time to eat. Because I was like, you're not hungry, but I am. So we are going to work together to make it work because I think it's important that she learns that we have different needs, but they both need to be met. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's, that's really interesting as well as sort of having that communication with a child and sort of letting them know that, yes, I'm a parent, but I'm also 
another person. Yes. And yeah, sort of teaching them that responsibility and that social awareness as well. I think that sort of helps in a way for a child's development. Hmm. Yeah. The needs of the parents are also quite different of the needs of children because we have more social needs, more um, like to exercise. Um, so talking to all the needs and makes also them understand who you are as a person, what, what makes you, because the needs are what we are really. So what makes who you are? So it's a very good um, relationship tool too. Yeah, for, for sure. Um, so going into talking about parental burnout a little bit more, with some signs of parental burnout, how can parents tell if they're experiencing the scenario? Um, yes. Yeah, so firstly, I would probably have to um, give the definition of parental burnout, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, go for it. The testing. So parental burnout, it's, um, it's a syndrome that affects parents who are exposed to parental stress and miss the resources to deal with the stress. And there are four symptoms of it. So the first one, the first symptom is usually the first one to arrive. And I was talking about it is the exhaustion. But it's not like, um, on, like everybody's tired, like being a parent is tiring, but it's more the feeling of, um, waking up in the morning and still not being, um, still not feeling relieved, like just waking up and having the feeling that the day who is coming ahead is going to be too much. The, like it's also emotional, it's also in a cognitive level and in the physical level. So that's the first one. And parents often say, my battery is constantly low. So that's one of the first symptoms. Another symptom is the overload and loss of pleasure from parenting. So the parents are now unable to really um, handle being a parent anymore and they are overwhelmed by it. And parents can say things like, I'm physically here but I'm not enjoying it anymore. Or I am in autopilot, I hear that a lot. Um, and the third symptom is the emotional distancing from their children. So the interesting part is the two first symptoms, they found it also in job burnout. The third one was a little different because they found out that uh, parents were still in love with their children. Um, and in job burnout, they found that um, people who were in burnout were not in love with their partner. Oh, I shouldn't say in love with their patient, but you get the idea. They weren't really wanted the best for their patient anymore, which is not the case for um, parents, which is great, great news. Um, uh, because this symptom happened because of cortisol level being high. So it wouldn't have been the wishing of the, the parents, it would have just have been a symptom. But that's great that the love is so strong that even high cortisol level can't change that. Um, but parents will pay less attention to their children and what they say, and they just, they just care less about their children. Um, but the, la the last massive um, symptom, and it's a big one, it's a contrast. So you don't, um, like you don't begin parenting in parental burnout. It's not like postnatal depression. That's a massive difference. When you begin, when you are in parental burnout, it has been gradual. And it's because you have given so much to your parenting role before and you have like, you are, it's a battery. You have given so much and you have had no resources, no rewards from it. And so you just go low and then you're done. So that's a contrast between what you were before and what you are now. And a lot of parents will say, I feel like I'm a shadow 
of the parents I was before, and they are really ashamed of it and feel really guilty. So that's a sentence. So then we were asking, um, how do parents know that they're in parental burnout? There is actually the Training Institute of Parental Burnout actually um, made a test. Um, and you can find it on my website. So with my name, elengatland.com.au. And then there is a parenting um, uh, service um, section with parental burnout. And in it, there is a test. And it's like... I always say to people, it is so much better to actually call me and do a 15 minutes free consultation and I help you through the test and I give you the results because it can be quite harsh to have the results. But I have said that 100 times and people still go on the website and do it by themselves. And that's fine. Just get ready that you will get the result by yourself. So be prepared that sometimes um, the result can be quite hard. But you can contact me after it, um, and I still give 15 minutes free session if you just want to debrief and not go through um, a course or whatever, just for a debrief if you feel like um, you weren't actually ready to have um, the result by yourself. Okay. So we're talking about emotional, going back a little bit, just talk about emotional distancing. How, how does that affect parenting? And parenting, like parenting a child, and just how does that affect the whole process of being a parent if you're sort of emotionally not there? It's definitely um, you're losing interest in your children, and you're losing pleasure in being a parent, and you're missing really big moments. So often, when people are out, out of parental burnout, they realize. Um, I missed the period because I wasn't really there. I wasn't really caring about them. Um, but that's what it is. And from there, there would be over learning for the children. But it's quite, um, it's definitely um, affecting. And it's not just affecting the parents. It's also affecting the entire family, the partner and the children. And often um, I do the course only with the parent in parental burnout. So I don't need to see anybody else. And results happened. And that has been scientifically proven. But after that, I often have parents calling me like a few months after or a month after and saying, oh my gosh, my children changed. My children are so much happier. So the emotional distancing and the loss of pleasure and the exhaustion is felt by the children. Um, so it's good actually, I often say to parents, let them know what you are going through. Uh, let them know you are getting help. And I, I use, um, actually it's a friend of mine who um, a colleague in, in Belgium, we use this analogy of, um, um, to explain it to the children, she used this idea of your parents thought they were superheroes, they could do everything, they had a massive, beautiful red, you say cape, is that right, cape? cape. Or? Yeah, cape. Yeah. But slowly, they did so much and they went everywhere and the cape got holes in it and and got a little, like, um, in, a, in a less good shape. And we are just helping your mother or your father to, feel okay with this, just to make it a little better, all the holes and the cape won't be as beautiful as they want, but it will be a beautiful cape and she will be able to fly again and help you again. So we try to have this idea uh, to help children to understand what parents go through, but uh, they, they know it, so there is no point to hide it from them. Yeah. Does, parent, does the burnout look different in mothers and fathers, for example? Is it, is it something different? Yes. Yeah, so the studies have found that um, 
mother are still affecting twice more than dads. Um, the reason is probably, they haven't done a study on the reason, but they believe the reason is probably because um, mothers still have 70% of the mental charge um, of parenting, uh, which is changing and it's great, So, but we slowly, um, it has an impact that they still have 70% of the charge on, um, of parenting. Um, then they found out what was really interesting is actually, so as I was saying, it's a balance. So you have stressor and resources. And what they found out is mother can deal with more stressors and less resources than dad. So if a dad has less stressor and more resources than a mother, it could become in burnout more easily. So they are more prone to parental burnout than mothers. Does that make sense? Yes, no, that makes total sense. So, so yeah, so that was one massive thing that they found. And why, again, they haven't done a study on that, but they believe it's because we, as a parents, we don't teach children as much, we don't teach boys as much as girls to be a resilient parents. So to, um, to teach children to be uh, dealing with all the stress of, um, or to teach the boys to, to deal with all the stress of being a parent. So, yeah, that's something that we need to be more aware of. Are we teaching our boys to be a resilient dad, to deal with all the stress? So they found that the second thing they found in the studies is the symptom. Um, so the symptom of parental burnout are quite different for mothers and dads. And for dads, they found out that um, they are more prone into a physical abuse and neglect, which is quite massive. And... Um, Again, it's just the cortisol level being too high. It's not what they want, but it means that we need to be more present for parent, for dads who are in parental burnout because the risk on children is higher. Um, and, and again, the dad can be completely um, um, against violence against children, So, which means that they can be really guilty and not want to say it. So we need to be more present for them. Okay, so how how would you have that in your opinion? How would you have that conversation with um, boys in terms of getting them ready for that next chapter, or sort of seeing? Because I know that they understand from examples, so sort of like the role model of the father. But if there's a gap there, and if they don't know what parental burnout looks like for a father, how are they able to sort of see that? For themselves later on yeah so um do you mean for boys like little boys yeah yeah for little boys yeah so you're, you're completely right so yeah the the first issue is the whole modeling so we are in a transition stage so for my for me not everybody in my generation but for me still my dad was at work my mom was at home so it was a must it was a, like two different things and so my whole model, and even with my friends and around me, is mom, mom is at home, dad is um, at work. So I haven't, in my brain, hasn't modeled the communication between the parents um, because it was never communicating what was happening um, in the parenting hall together. It was only my mom taking the decision. So I haven't done all of this. So when I will go through um, my parenting journey with my husband, definitely we will have to work towards being the first generation creating parenting discussions. Um, so I have I begin to see it in some couples, 
but definitely I still see a massive um the mother is taking much more decision than the dad and we really need to change that as soon as we can if we want uh, a change in the next generation so role modeling like role modeling is a massive one and the second one is really and it's coming too it's allowing children to play with dolls allowing children to play with cooking equipment and doing everything like wiping a button while pretending to be on the phone <laughs> like this multitasking that mother do and i'm really proud of but don't sometimes like nothing happened with you know like uh, just because of one side and we are really proud of mom i should say women are really proud of multitasking but almost don't allow uh, boys to do it because it is not what they think they are good at so we need to allow that to happen we need to allow this brain to develop into a more um daddy brain <laughs> yeah I, th- I think that's a really good um i mean growing up as well similar to you i sort of saw my mom is at home my dad's at work I see my dad when he comes home and that's all I know. But especially with now, I think now as I'm older, my dad's now working from home. So now he's always, always at home. So now my understanding of what he does in the house is very different to what it used to be. And you're right. I see it also in my family. So that's, that's an interesting fact too. It is not, it is like people are able to change in time. So my dad is also much more present too. So uh, my brain is beginning to understand Oh, my dad is actually, now that he's retired, he's helping more. Um, but so, yeah, and I can see much more conversation and I hear my mom now saying, we did it together, which I wouldn't have heard before. Um, <laughs> so yes, all the communication between parents is a really new concept. And it's, um, it's actually, actually, it's one of the reasons also there is more parental burnout now because there is this new, um, new story of um, parents being together instead of being separated. Okay, yeah. It's more pressure. You're talking for two people instead of one. No, I think 100%. I think that just adds the – I mean, it does split the roles in theory, but I think both sort of deal with it in the same kind of way. Then, Yeah. Yeah, they do it individually still. I think that's right. Like I'm, uh, I'm just thinking about us right now, and um, we are going to try to buy a pram. And I choose a pram, but uh, before I would have just choose a pram, fine. And now I choose a pram. My husband say, I trust you, but of course I want to tell him, and I want to make sure he's happy with it <laughs> because I know he will use it. And so yeah, it's it's it, there's more pressure on me than before, where I would have just buy the pram and don't care. I'm the only one to use it. I, who cares what he thinks? Now I have really yeah. have to be like, are you sure you like it? Because you will be behind <laughs> it. Like, are you sure? So it's it's a very different conversation. Is it also, I think, like in, or in that way, I think it's sort of the independence is sort of changed as well in a way. What do you mean by independence? Sorry? Just the, like what you were saying about just, okay, I'm just going to buy the pram that I like, but sort of having that, sort of adds another dependent yes. in sort of the decision-making. Yes, and it puts pressure on each person who takes a decision because you take yeah. a decision for two. And, it, and um, in the course that we do, there is actually um, a really good exercise that I hope will get more and more used with time. It's an exercise where you go through the values of each um, partner 
But what uh, what you realize when you do it, and of course I did it with uh, my husband in the course, I, like all the parents do it, is you think you have the same values as your partner. That's why you choose each other. Or some values you know are different, but most of them are the same. But what you don't realize is the the difference in the in the in in the importance for you. So for example, someone will say, oh, it's like both of you, you will say, being polite and being on time is important. But for one of them, being on time is more than important than being polite. So when, and the other one will be the opposite. So if you have a situation where you see someone in the street and they want to talk to you, but you are not on time for your meeting, one will say, but I really need to talk to him. He was talking to me. It would have been so rude to leave. And the other one say, but no, it's really rude. We are late to our meeting. But one thing, like they both have the same value, but one is more important for partner A and the other one is more important for partner B. And so this is a really good exercise to actually understand what is, why, why are you still fighting on stuff or arguing on stuff <laughs> um, that you agree on, but for some reason it's not exactly the same. So that's the reason, the importance of it. So it's a good exercise, yeah. No, that sounds like a really, really cool exercise to sort of role play in and sort of get the perspective of the other person. Yes. Um, so how, talking about um, back to burnout as well, how does parental burnout develop? Is it even possible for parents to avoid the stress entirely that comes in with being a parent? No, so as I was saying, Parenting is, is a stressful journey just because from the day you get pregnant, um, you have a life in your hands. So I, I would be very surprised if someone was coming to me one day and saying, wow, you said it wrong. I was not stressed at all. <laughs> like, and the study shows it. Like at the moment, the study show that parents um, are quite stressed. Uh, even if there is nothing to be stressed in their parenting journey, they are stressed just because they have one more life to care about. Um, so parental burnout, like as I was saying, there is a, a four symptoms, but the three first symptoms, so the exhaustion, is the first symptoms to come up. So when you begin to feel exhausted and you begin to feel like you are not uh, getting better in the morning, that's a first symptom of parental burnout. You don't have to do something at that point, but it's good to be aware um, um, I could be getting, I could be going into parental burnout. Then when you begin to have the loss of pleasure and overwhelm, that's beginning to be harder because your cortisol levels are beginning to be really high. And when you have the emotional distancing, your cortisol levels are high enough that it's going to be difficult for you to um, get out of parental burnout without um, a professional help. I, that's my own opinion, at least, on what I saw here. So is it, so is it a very like a step-by-step -step process? So, yeah. so again, the studies are, qu are quite new. So it's only in the last year that they are beginning to look into um, the sequence of symptoms. Mm -hmm. And even between us, so I managed a group on Facebook uh, for parents, but I also managed a group for um, um, all the people who are trained by the Training Institute, because I felt so lonely in Australia. <laughs> so I tried to have more colleagues. And even us, when the study arrived, we had a massive discussion um, because I personally felt like that's not always the case. Um, I have parents who come with 
Um, we have been exhausted, but are feeling better now because the children are older, but they still have um, the emotional distancing. So I'd, it's not like a game. It's a guideline, but then for every family, it's quite different. So the guideline is, is going like this, but then it's quite different for each family. Okay. So now talking about the management of burnouts, like specifically what are some of the best ways for you to manage or even prevent um, burnout once you sort of notice the signs? Yeah, so um, the prevention is the best thing to do um, because it helps you to not go into burnout, burnout, which is so much easier. Um, Yes, so so the the thing to do is actually to find resources next to you. So as I said, you will have stress. But you can always add new resources or use your resources more wisely. So whatever you have around you, um, use it. And sometimes you need to be quite creative. But depending on your personality and the reason why you're going to burn out, there will be different things that you can work. So one of the massive things of people who go into parental burnout is that um, because they have a perfectionist personality. So they're also prone to job burnout. People want to always do really good. Um, and so the resources will actually to be to work on themselves to be okay with not being perfect. Um, and mm-hmm. the first thing I would say to these parents who are like listening to me and being like, that's me, is actually in the um, last century, Winnicott was a child psychologist and he found out um, that being a perfect parent is impossible, but it's actually not beneficial to children. What is good for a child is to have a parent good enough. And what he mean by good enough is making mistakes and being okay with the mistakes they make and um, repairing the mistakes. And that was last century. And since then, all the scientists have been saying, yeah, he's correct. There's nothing else to say about what he said. That's right. Being a good parent is um, more than enough. Don't try to reach perfection and you won't make it. So you will burn yourself on the way. So yes, that's that. That would be the idea behind. So, going into marriage, like talking about that even further, I know, like especially with the use of social media now, and you see a lot of parents, and you see a lot of parents on social media, and they're like, it's like sort of having the really Instagram life in a way of view of parenting. How do you, like talking about managing expectations, is that definitely sort of an influence of how people see parenting? Yes, but I would say in both ways. So definitely has an influence um, in, in making you feel like you're never doing enough. Um, because of course, for two reasons, like of course parents won't put a picture of their children having a tantrum. For two reasons. One is because they think no one wants to see it, uh, which mm-hmm. is probably more or less true. But the second thing is because they are actually uh, often parents that are present for their children. So they will be caring about their children instead of taking a video of the child doing a tantrum. So it's not like a lot, I hear often people saying, oh, no one put this on, but that's also because they want to be present with the children. So, um, so yes, we don't see the negative part on, of the children on, uh, on social media. And that's getting really hard on parents because it's always this competition. But what we have seen also 
um, in the last few years. And now I was saying I have a group which is called Parental Burnout, which is for parents to be able to, to talk in a private um, group about their own feelings and how, how they deal with their parental burnout. And there are also other groups. There is a massive one. I think it's an Australian one. Actually, I read it in an Australian newspaper, but I think it's Australian. It's called, um, oh, I, uh, I think the name is, uh, yeah, I regret not having, having children. Sorry, I regret having children. And that's a massive, that was a massive group and of course very controversial. And um, last time I looked at it on the side, she says, don't even come to ask me to change the name. I'm not going to change it. You can create your own group. But it's a massive thing to be able to have this group, to be able to allow parents to express themselves. Yes, it is really hard to hear that parents are regretting to have children, but they need this space to be able to say it. And I feel like sometimes in your family uh, or in your friends, it's not possible to say it. For some people it is, but for some people it's not because of the reason I was saying, like if parents wanted children for so long, they don't feel comfortable complaining about it. Um, but in these groups, they are safe, and I see it in the parental burnout group, and I really like enjoy uh, like allowing parents to be able to say it in this group. You can say it anonymously too, saying like, "I can't do it anymore." I what and it, and it's not even them. They know it's not them. They know it's just a symptom and a, and a phase of of their mental health that is talking. But right now, my mental health is saying that they can't do it anymore and they don't want to be there. They want to move towards another space. But to move, you need to be able to say it. So social media also allow, I'm not sure about Instagram really, I don't, I'm not into Instagram, but Facebook really allow this um, support of parents who need to be able to accept where they are and move slowly towards a new solution. You know, I, th- I think that's really having that conversation, having that space is very important, especially when it comes to the relate- uh, relatability of everything. Like your parents are going to be 100% perfect all the time. And you can't even, you can't even lie and say, oh yeah, no, I-, I love parenting. I think there's like always going to be moments. Like I know growing up, my mom's definitely said a couple of times like, oh my God, I wish I was not a parent when I was like 22. Yes. Of the life that she definitely missed out on, that she's sort of seeing through us at the moment. And I, I grown, un, growing up, I was like a bit confused, but now I definitely understand it at my age because she had me when I was a lot younger, when I, when I was around, when she was around 21. And that's like a huge part of a parent's life. Yes. Which part of a person's life as, as a whole and like you can't and it's good to sort of have that space because it's not something that you can sort of talk about publicly otherwise it gets all that kind of hate it gets all that kind of you put it up on social media people are commenting you should be grateful you have a kid but it's like I just need to vent like I need to have that time where someone needs, just needs to understand so I think I think you having that is that support group that you have and that other group is definitely something that is needed to sort of take away the sort of normalize it in a way like you're not always going to be loving being a parent like I'm I don't have kids but I can see definitely see my friends with their kids and just be them complaining about them half the time and I'm probably put that out there for a lot of my friends to see but like 
I think it's totally fine if there's some moments where you just don't want to deal with it. What parents have to remember is it's actually social pressure that we have created. We have created this idea that parents, as you said, have to be happy seven days a week, 24 hours. We're not even happy with anything, not even chocolate. (laughs) Seven days a week, 24 hours. We will be sick of it. So nothing (laughs) is good enough to be good enough seven days a week, 24 hours a day. But what is even more interesting is this. um, So when you're in job burnout, you have the solution to leave your work, to go on holidays, to change your position. So you have all these things offered to you. When you're in parental burnout, you just shut up and keep going. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, you can't. And and you have to allow parents to be like, same. actually in, in Belgium, there is a massive program where it is the same as job burnout. Uh, there is a Red Cross who help parents um, there was, I'm not sure if it's still happening, but I know a mother um, had the children in the Red Cross while she was having a time away because she couldn't deal, she couldn't deal with parenting anymore. Um, and it's not she couldn't deal with her children, she couldn't deal with parenting, very different. So it's not the children who are really uh, um, the issue, it's the parenting role. Um, and yeah, so there is a lot, there is a structure that I've been creating with from some of my colleagues where parents can go for the weekend. Um, sorry, children can go for the weekends. Parents have the weekend off. So there is this breathing space. So more we talk about it, more it will happen. The issue is in Australia, being still alone, it's, um, it's a little more difficult. But as you were saying, it's very interesting also to see, um, in social media, media, the number of persons will just need to vent and, That's probably something that is not yet allowed in social media. A lot of people vent and you read the post and the publication who can be anonymous or not. And people are already giving solutions. And sometimes I'm trying to be very careful with are they asking for a solution or are they just here to express themselves and be listened to. And you can read it often at the end and I say, sorry, but I just needed to vent or something like that. And then I'm like, that's not my space to be. Um, I can send them like care and love and uh, positivity or whatever I need, but I'm not going to send them solutions. They are not there yet. And and that's great. That's great to have this space just to vent. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. I think going uh, talking about the different ways to manage, I think like from my experiences as being a kid, I mean, me and my sister were a handful as as it is. But I remember my mom used to say that she needs that sort of self-care moments where she'd sort of step away for a weekend or go out with her friends for the weekend and stay at a hotel and leave it, leave with, um, leave all of us with my dad. Is that something that you would definitely, that would definitely be something that you would recommend for parents as well, right? So guidelines are yes. Then it depends on what you want. So one really important thing that we go back in the course is what is quality time for you? Because often, um, it's, it's actually, um, very interesting when you go back, when you have parents in parental burnout, they have this amazing, like, it's really a, a beautiful work for me because it's amazing parents who are coming to me <laughs> and they have these amazing parents and they're like, can we, can we have? time for us <laughs> it's almost <laughs> like are we allowed yes you are and so they have been in this idea not all of them but a lot of them they have been in this idea 
um, of some of them are we allowed to and some of them I know we should but I don't know what it should be like I don't understand how you could do it so they have completely forgotten about them and so we go back to what is quality time for you what do you want to do for yourself because for some people it will be gardening for some people it will be exercising for some people it will be five minutes for some people it will be three hours so it really depends on what you need and some people it will be social as you said a weekend away so it really depends on what you need and also being very aware that what works a month which could be um walk in the morning could not work the other months because you're too exhausted and you want to stay in bed and it's winter and you don't want to be out in in the cold and often the um, parents who come to me as I said they are perfectionists and they are very like people who have controlled their life Um, a lot of people are also highly educated so that's one thing that is interesting about parental burnout they are highly educated um, and they read a lot of things about uh, being a mother or being a father so these people who have done so much in uh, in their life, when they have set up their goal, like I will do an hour of work every morning and I will feel better, then they have issue to go back and say, well, actually, that's not good for me. <laughs> so we really need to bring back this flexibility. Is it worth it for you today to go on this hour of work? Will you feel better or we just a hot chocolate like, like the deal today? Um, <laughs> sorry, I talk a lot about chocolate. <laughs> i definitely love that (laughs) yeah that's that's the idea of what is good for you um but being able to say um i'm living and dad is taking care is an amazing thing like i'm i'm doing a self-care and dad is is caring about you that's an amazing thing and being able to express it to you um is definitely something that um, i'm sure will help you as a as a person yourself you will be like yeah like mother have to self-care and dad have to self-care yeah so that's a great thing to do definitely okay that's good at least I know that that's that's the right way to go (laughs) (laughs) um so going into um some questions from the audiences that I've that we've sort of gathered over the time um so the first question is what are some flags that parents usually show when they're when they are burnout? So often, because a parent is so in autopilot and, and still trying to do everything, they are a little like in the sand, um, head down, and they don't see it. So the first people actually to see it are the children or the, or the partner. And so it's good to listen to them and, and also to listen to people who, um, who see you. You look more tired. Don't take it badly. It's probably <laughs> it's probably the first the first um, sign of you being burned out. Um, yeah, and so if the children say to you, I, I hear a lot of parents who come to me and say, "Oh, I began to be worried when my child said, you're so cranky, mommy." And so when you begin to hear your children saying like you're cranky, you're angry, um, you're always screaming, um, it's all due to again the cortisol being high. It's not you. But that's a sign that you are getting into parental burnout. Or if your par- partner said, "Oh, you, yeah, you like you look like your mental health is struggling at the moment um, with parenting," and it's really about the parenting role, of course. Um, yeah, so that's when you that would be a sign. So, how can children, especially older kids, teens, or young adults, even contribute to reducing 
burnout in a parent? Yes. So uh, first thing I would say on that is a study found out that um, having a child under five years old uh, brings parents more at risk of parental burnout. So if you are in parental burnout after a child is uh, over five years old, it could be because your child has difficulties or it could be um, like it would be dif- it would be a different type of parental burnout. But it's still possible to have a teenager and being in parental burnout. I'm not saying it's not, but it's definitely most of the people I see have children under five years old. So over five years old, something else in yourself, in your personality, in your situation will change. But the first thing, um, the study also found out that the first thing children can do is being more autonomous. So uh, helping more in the house. Um, And again, like we were saying it before, um, it's hard for parents to do this, but it's actually a massive help uh, in the mental health of parents to have children more more autonomous. Okay. How do stay-at-home parents avoid burnout? So that's an interesting one because, again, um, the study found out that being at uh, at home or part-time brings more risk of parental burnout, which you would think is the opposite because you have more time doing everything. But actually, um, the idea is um, when before you are a parent, you have yourself and you have all the... Are we going to do a video or are people not going to see me? Oh, it's the video. It's a video. Okay. Sorry. sorry yeah. again. <laughs> okay. If I explain everything and then they don't see me. <laughs> no, they can see you fine. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so the idea, the idea is when you are before being a parents, you have like yourself and this is you and you have all these different identities and you have quite a few like... Um, being a girlfriend or being a boyfriend or being a daughter, being a, a auntie, or auntie we, or being um, uh, doing sport or having friends, partying, like all these different identities. And mother is, is present or father is still present, but it's quite small. But you have this idea of what you will become, what will be your identity as a mother or father. Like we all are great um parenting, like <laughs> thinking that we will be a great parents later, it's, it's already there. And But when you become a mother or a father, this identity grows. And for some people, it takes the entire space. And that's what happened for parents who are at home. So instead of having all these other identities, they have one massive identity, which is being a mother or father. And to, for mental health to, uh, to be healthy, um, you have to have... You have to give to identities, but receive from them. So when you have friends and you receive from it, when you are a boyfriend, girlfriend, you receive from it. And because you have so many identities, when you have a lot of identities, if one is not, um, if you don't receive a lot from one, that's fine because you have all the other ones. So that's where you get quite a healthy mentality. When you have only one identity, like mother or father, who take everything, and then you give so much to your whole, but let's be honest, you don't receive a lot. <laughs> you receive smile, you receive, yeah, smile. <laughs> when <they're babies. laughs> you receive cadence, but it's really slow. Like it's like empathy and compassion takes a long time for a child to grow in this brain. So you cannot have it on day one. So it takes a long time for me with you receiving a lot. And then children are very honest. So you prepare this beautiful meal and you spend so much time and they're like, I don't want it. 
So, yeah, it's the whole world is very small compared to other high identities. So when you're only mother at home, it's very hard to be having enough reward from this identity. So the thing I always take is think about all the identity you had, which one do you want to expand again? Um, at what cost also? Is it possible for you to expand that one? Um, and try to expand it again and try to have rewards from it. So try to not just be uh, a parent, try to be all, all the other stuff you were before um, and and get rewards from all of them. And that, that's my idea. So is this sort of like separating your being a parent and you being a person? Yes, yes. And that's really okay. important. Like, actually, I would say you are a person, parents is in it, and there's all this other stuff in it. Um, and try, like, uh, one thing that I really like to do, and it's really hard, is, and I said it at the beginning, I said, I'm French. And I said, oh, I said it. I like to say, actually, I was born in French because I am not French. That's not who I am. I am in Gatland. A part of me is born in France and cultural France. But in the last 10 years, I have um, learned English and I have learned the Australian culture and all these things makes who we are. So instead of saying, I am vegetarian, I am Christian, being saying, um, I, my religions, my, the religious, the religion I practice is Christian, Christianism. Um, I eat, um, no meat or I eat a vegetarian diet. Like you are not, when you say I am, you become one identity. So trying to really train our brain to think we are so many things that makes us who we are. Does that make sense? Yes. No, that makes perfect sense, especially the um, different places that you've grown up, different places that you identify as because, yeah, I'm definitely from everywhere around the world. So I think that's definitely relatable. And and you just say identify and that's a really good word because it identifies, it's our identity. And then people begin to really understand more who you are. Yeah, perfect. Um. Like parents, can children also experience burnout due to parental pressure or a parent's way of caring? Um, I would be very careful with this question because I really um, appreciate that there were studies done on parental burnout and it was a massive um, journey and I have a lot of respect on uh, the researcher and how they came into using this word. And that really wish the word burnout is not overused. So I don't want to use it for a child until we like, until this is really something mm-hmm. that has been studied and um, very identified and we have which has data behind. Um, so yeah, we'll be careful with that um, question. Sorry. Okay. No, that's totally fine. Um, what are the different, I mean, we definitely talked about this, the different levels of parental burnout talking about um what is it? Is there a different level separating like physically and mentally, or is it sort of one and the same? Um, physically and mentally, I don't think there has been any studies specifically on that. Um, again, the main factor is uh, cortisol and how it affects you uh, mentally and physically. And as cortisol has a lot of effects, so it will have different effects. So, uh, but I, I don't think there has been any studies. Um, on that particular um, topic. What I know is what um, in the studies they've done, so the tests you do, you get a result that will say, like, if you are 
in parental burnout or if you are at risk of parental burnout or if you should be a little careful. There's different categories there. And it depends on the, how many times you feel a symptom. So, for example, I feel exhausted from the moment I wake up. Do you feel that once a day, uh, once a week, once a month, um, every few months or once a year? Like, so, and if you feel it once a day, it's the highest, of course. And so you will be more at risk, or you will be in the highest category. Um, yes, yeah, so that, that would be as a frequency of the, of the symptoms. Okay. Um, talking about the role of family, what is the role of a family during if one parent has a complete burnout? Yeah, so again, I will say guidelines and people, um, it's very different for each family, but the first thing would be to help the person to see it. Um, so observing it, observing the symptoms, making the person aware of the burnout, um, and then accepting it for what it is, um, so explaining that um, this is just a mental health issue and it can be resolved. And the great thing is it can be uh, like the, the program that I use has been scientifically proven to reduce the symptom in three to six months. So it's quite fast. Um, and it's only eight, eight classes, like eight um, sessions. So saying that you can be you can be helped. Then you, you can find someone who is doing the class. So in Australia, I'm the only one. There is some people also in America but, um, and in England. Um, so there's a few people who do it in English. So you can choose different um, practitioners if you don't like my French accent. <laughs> <laughs> But then helping them to do the step, because what I find is, um, so I have a lot of people who come to me and say, I'm definitely burnt out. But the steps, the, the last step to go and do the course is the hardest. Once you have done, once you have done the step to do the course and to, to have the professional help, I have, which is quite rare, I have 100% um, of people who have finished the course, which is quite rare in uh, programs for parents. And because it's still a program for parents. Normally, even like a PPP, which is the famous one, it has a massive um, drop down, like people just don't finish the course. Um, but for this course, yeah, people, um, I never had anyone stopping the course. So, but the step to begin the course is really hard. So really being present for this first step and being present for um, the next three to six months with any resources that the person want to try to use. So what we worked for the course is um, a lot on resources, as I was saying. So if the person wants to try to use a parent's resource for cooking or whatever, being present and trying it. Um, some stuff will work, some stuff won't. And that's the beauty of, um, of the course is we are very flexible at trying things and it's very personal. Um, so try it, see it, um, talk about it and, and work with the person and really listening, being there to listen and yeah, be present. Okay. Well, that's that's really good answer for that. Um, so going on to the next section, we, we have practice and habits. So what is a practice that you would recommend for to prevent parental burnout? Yeah, so there is a lot. So it's um, 
I will explain that the, like uh, during the course we go through all the practices that you should change, and they have, the course has been done by the training institute, and they go with all the massive risk factors. So they have done a studies with forty two countries in the world, and realize what are the risk factors that bring people into burnout or burnout, and through that they made a course that will help people to bring new practices into their life to be less burnout, and so. Um, there is eight class, eight course, and so we go through um, six practices that we work on, or six ideas, or six risk, risk factors. Um, the first one is understanding what parental burnout. Oh, sorry. The first one is um, so that, that was the first course, but the first one is accept the parents you are and let go of perfectionism. So this is really on the perfectionist aspect that we talked about and really allowing parents to be okay with it. Um, the second one is developing the emotional competencies and especially how to deal with stress to lower um, the cortisol level. Um, yeah, there is one also actually on um, understanding what makes you in parental burnout, what's in your personality, in your history, brings you into parental burnout. Another one is to diminish the mental load of parenting and uh, use your energy more wisely. What we find is often parents spend time on things that don't matter and um, miss, miss quality time. Um, and on quality time, we work also on gain a new understanding of quality time and how to add this into the family life. So understanding that quality time is actually about, not about just the children, and that's, that's a really new concept. Like we, a lot of parents believe that um, um, quality time is about the child, but there is quality time for the child, going to the park, uh, going for a bike ride if he wants to do a bike ride. But if we are not having fun at the park, this is not quality time for us. So it's great to actually bring back this idea of um, that's your quality time. And you can even have a drawing of what all the quality time of the child is or different children. That's what I like to do for me and it's self-care. And, what I, and that's what I like to do um, with you. So if you have a family with different children, you will have a lot of paper, like you will have one for each relationship and one for the family. But like really understanding, that a child really understand what I actually do with you, what I actually like to do with you is drawing, or what I actually like to do with you is um, board games. So it's really different depending on your relationship with the child, but really bringing back this idea of what is quality time for you. And then the two last one are um, rethinking the relationship with your children and how is that it has shaped by cultural and social pressure. And the last one is to, oh, I don't remember how many I said, but one of our one is to strengthen um, the team that can help you uh, to care about the, your children and being really okay asking for help. So that's one thing that they found is um, a lot of people in parental burnout, they don't ask for help, mostly because they don't feel comfortable or a lot, there's a lot of reasons. But one reason they found is um, actually Australia is um, on the same study. They found that Australia was a country number one for individual, individualistic values. Um, so because we think we, are, we have to do everything by ourselves, we don't ask for help, which makes it much harder for us. Okay, 
I think I think that's definitely something. I think when it comes to the Western view, it's, it's like a lot of people don't ask for help because they feel like there's too much that you have to know before you're being a parent. Whereas you forget, like you're still learning to be a parent. Like you're not gonna be, you're not gonna be knowing everything, and you don't know what you don't know. I think that's another thing. You don't know what you have no idea about what you need to know, what the questions that you need to ask. Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, so going into the next part is definitely a open mic. So this gives you an opportunity to sort of talk about anything that you want to talk about. Um, doesn't have to relate to parental burnout or it can if you want to, but just anything that you feel like you would love to share with the audience. On anything? On, it could be about anything. It could be anything at all. <laughs> Um, I'm not sure, but um, definitely uh, I, uh, if I, well, because I'm still thinking about parental burnout and my brain is in there, like, um, definitely I hope that, um, yeah, my speech help people to be more relaxed and feel less pressure in their parenting journey um, and that they feel like it's more um, like the idea of it takes a village to raise a child. Um, Yes, and, and I think, unfortunately, for the people who are in parental burnout now, um, we almost need, and I I'm, I'm part of it too, um, we almost need to be the first one to help the society to change and to be here as um, as ambassador and saying, hey, I, I am in parental burnout or I was in parental burnout and we need so much more help as parents. We need to understand that this is a hard journey and we need to be less judged by, um, or we need to feel less judged and be okay to feel less judged, uh, but also being less judged. Um, and yes, feeling more supported by the society. That would be that would be my conclusion on the parental burnout. Uh, but on and anything else, uh, I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> no, then I I actually think that this is the perfect place to sort of end the topic and sort of over an overview of everything we just sort of discussed on today's episode and I really want to thank you for your perspective on parental burnout I think it's really nice to sort of hear someone who is who has studied this and really interested in see the sort of scientific side to it rather than just sort of hearing about it because you do it's something that you do hear I think it's just never been labeled as as a burnout it's sort of just like you sort of label it under stress. So it's nice to sort of have a different word to it and a specific word to it rather than just there's a lot of stress. Yes. And I'm sure one of your listeners, we just feel like I have a lot of people who come to me and said, I listened to you to a podcast and just hearing the name, oh, <laughs> I felt so much better. And learning that it was studied and they were not the only one and it was in a lot of countries. Like this is a massive relief for a lot of parents to realize I'm not alone. Uh, <laughs> so that, that's definitely um, yeah, really good for parents to have this awareness. Yeah, for sure. And thank you so much for joining me today, Helen. It was really nice to sort of get to talk to you and um, discuss this whole topic with you today. Yes, thank you for taking the time for me and for also your audience. That's, that's really nice. Uh, if you want to look at anything that 
any more talk about Helen or sort of see her website? I think your he- website is helengatland.com.au. Yeah. Then and definitely go and head to that website and definitely have a look at um, all the resources there and anything that we discussed today that you would like to look at further. Um, I want to thank everyone for listening today and joining me with my guest. It's really an honor to sort of talk to with her. And I hope everyone has learned a lot. I know definitely I have, especially not even being a parent, but still, it's still nice to learn more about it. And um, yeah, thanks everyone for listening and have a good day. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Raising Parents, the Parenting Science Insights Podcast, produced by the Parenting Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 Life Management Perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting apps available on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website at pa.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Dina Sargent and thanks for tuning in.